hello, 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 all of our little holiday elfy boss babes. How's Elfie it going? Boss babes. Because <laughs> you know everybody's fucking trying to do Christmas right now, and like Elfie stuff fucking stockings babes. and fucking wrapped Y'all presents are fucking while pointy-eared bitches. That's all I gotta say. As long as we penetrate the pointy ears, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yup. Anyways, it is the case that has always fascinated me. We are finally doing it. I'm so excited, and it's probably going to be three or four parts because there's just so much to There's a into. lot. A lot. Yeah. And Mikey had never heard of this case before. 25-some-odd years, apparently. Yeah, yeah Mikey never had never heard of this. Totally clueless. So I'm having to crack one open. 25 ouncer because it's gonna get deep oh jesus yep welcome need to, to light this up again jean benet ramsey mini series with your favorite hosts <laughs> with the most <laughs> the most let's dive on in grab that beverage pack that bowl pop it out of bowl let's, go, let's, let's get into it ABC. <laughs> Not easy as one, two, three. Let me tell you, podcasting sometimes there are malfunctions. Uh, so. Some. <laughs> Jesus. Third time's a charm. Let's Anyways, welcome everyone. It is a lovely weekend before Christmas. I know y'all are probably busy wrapping gifts, stocking those, stuffing those stocks. Stocking their suffers. Whatever the heck you're doing. <laughs> Not even one. Not even one yet, dude. Uh, uh, she's lost it. She's done. Dude. Cancel. Anyway, hopefully you're letting us penetrate those ears while you're doing your holiday to-do list. This case has been one I've been wanting to do for a while, and I'm kind of excited because I didn't realize it was the 25th year of the anniversary of it. It's I still unsolved. Know nothing about this. Yeah. So Mikey knows nothing about this. So Jean Benet Ramsey. I'm going to go over the main points of the case. We're going to review the timeline in this episode, talk about some theories and poke holes in the timeline. And then the other parts will be dedicated to like diving into the case, the letter conspiracy theories, who we think did it, and new evidence that has been found, and they are able to test through DNA testing and what the status is of all that, and kind of wrap it up. So, like I said in the little intro, it's probably going to be at least three parts, possibly four. I don't know, so just enjoy. Um, the main things about the case is she was a six-year-old beauty pageant girl, you know, before Toddlers and Tiaras came out and was popular. Um, she was a pageant girl. She is six years old. Trigger warning, you know, it does involve murder of a child. There was some kind of sexual assault committed also, so trigger warning for that as well. Um, but the main points to know, like I said, she was six years old. She was a pageant girl. There was a crazy lengthy three-letter 
fucking wacko wacko ransom note that apparently was written by the abductors or killer she was reported missing at first and then found in her own home so that's a weird odd thing and the motherfucking boulder police we're gonna talk about them because why bring the her people... back like why bring her back to the the house like why not just get rid of the fucking body like well, why here, bring her... once we get into it you'll understand so aye, the boulder aye, police aye. dropped the ball a lot we'll see that when we review the timeline all that kind of stuff so hopefully you've packed a bowl got some edibles nearby got an alcoholic beverage if you don't partake in any of those fun times grab a coffee a hot cocoa hot cider and your favorite blanket and let's talk about jambonet ramsey just right (laughs) start drinking and smoking not at the same time do everything in like you know kind of moderation regiment whatever you want to do yeah so the first thing Obviously, we know JonBenet Ramsey. She was a six-year-old little girl. She lived in Boulder, Colorado. Um, she did all the pageants. Her mom, Patsy Ramsey, was a former beauty queen herself. So a lot of people were like, she was living vicariously through JonBenet, right? She's taking her daughter around. And when you look at her photos, she was probably the Gerber baby. You know, everybody knows that adorable little baby that's like the Gerber logo, the perfect little uh-huh. eyes and stuff. Like every picture you Google of Jean Benet Ramsey, she mm-hmm. looks like a star. Like she, granted, she's wearing a ton of makeup and a whole shit ton of hairspray and, you know, all these weird little outfits that they put pageant children in. But she was a beautiful little girl. Um, Again, she was six years old. It happened around Christmas time. So, like I mentioned, 25th year anniversary is coming up um, this year. The case is still unsolved, but there is a lot of new evidence. Um, I don't really... (sighs) Here's the problem with this case. There's just so much to talk about. I'm not going to really go into, like... A lot of details about like who her mother was and who her dad was and what it was like for her as a child pageant girl if you want more in-depth look at like her life and things like that there are tons of documentaries and specials on netflix and hulu and youtube that go into things about that normally i like to try to honor the case and the victims in the case when we do it and kind of give you a glimpse into them but jean benet like people know this case on a global level so there's so much information that i feel like you guys could get that elsewhere so we're just gonna do it we're gonna jump right into the timeline um so we're gonna start on december 23rd and the only reason i start on december 23rd is because a lot of people that are really like dedicated to this case like to use that as day zero or day one um other people start on christmas day since that was the last time she was seen alive but december 23rd 1993 or sorry, in 1996, there was a 911 call that was made from the Ramsey home. So this is three days before her body's found, right? Uh, someone called 911. Oh my goodness. I don't know if you guys can hear whatever's going on. I can't. I'm just listening to this story intently. I'm sorry. Something on 
my computer keeps popping off with an ad and I have no windows open other than Anchor, so I don't know what's going on. Um, if you guys heard that ad, I apologize. I'll try to edit it out. But anyways, the timeline. So the timeline we're going to use is December 23rd of 1996. Somebody makes a call from the Ramsey house to 911. They end up hanging up. Nothing comes of it. But it is odd. Um, the police end up chalking it up saying, you know, it was probably a mistake. The Ramseys were hosting a lot of like get togethers and parties around this time. It's Christmas time. You know, they're pretty affluent. I will say that in the community. Um, the Ramseys aren't middle class or poor by any means. So around this time, they were just hosting a lot of parties. So they just assumed that somebody mistakenly dialed 911. Maybe they were drinking a little bit. Maybe one of the kids were playing with the phone. They don't know. But any, anyways, nothing comes of it. So now let's go to Christmas Day. So Christmas Day of 96, the Ramseys as a family... Jean Benet, Patsy, her dad, and her little brother um, go to a Christmas party at a friend's house. It's a family friend, so it's not somebody that they just casually know. They really, really know this person. They've done a lot of parties and outings together and stuff like that. Jean Benet gets a bike for Christmas morning. You know, they op they woke up that morning, opened Christmas presents at the house got dressed for the day, went to the Christmas party, and then they go home. They get home. It's kind of later in the evening. You know, everybody's running around the house and stuff like that, getting comfortable. Kids are probably playing with toys. And John remembers, because her dad's name is John and then Patsy. So her dad remembers putting her to bed. Patsy typically would put both of the kids to bed, you know, with JonBenet. She would get her dressed if she needed a bath, brush her teeth, all that kind of stuff. So both parents remember seeing JonBenet go to sleep because they were those kinds of parents that tucked their kids in, put them to bed every night, had a bedtime routine. Um, some theories will probably say she snuck back downstairs after she was tucked in because again it's christmas day there's toys there's presents and lots of hullabaloo going on no kid really wants to go to bed on christmas i mean my kids don't ever want to go to bed on christmas and one of them's 20 so <laughs> it's not far-fetched right that she might have snuck back downstairs maybe to play with some toys let's say you know some theories some theories say that maybe, you know, her brother caught her sneaking out of bed and maybe they got into an argument or something. Um, a lot of people say this is where the pineapple will come into play. Yes, pineapple is like the fruit. Um, but either way, the night ends, everybody goes to sleep. Let's go to December 26, the next morning. So it's December 26, 1996. Approximately... 5.15, 5.30 in the morning, Patsy wakes up. She goes downstairs to make coffee and she discovers that there's this almost three-page handwritten ransom note on the back stairs which lead into the kitchen. And it's got all of this writing saying that their daughter's been kidnapped. Um, 
one of the lines says you will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be in $100 bills, the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. So it has very specific demands. One no wonder this took so long. One thing that they're looking at is obviously 118,000 is a very odd amount of money. Why would yeah. they ask for 100,000? Why would they ask for a buck 20 or a buck 25? Like it was very specific, which also ended up matching the bonus that Mr. Ramsey had got that year. So just keep those these little details in mind. Um huh John's Christmas bonus. I don't know if it was end of the year Christmas bonus, but John's bonus for that year was exactly $118,000. The note also said to not call the police. If you call the police, then we're going to kill her or something like that. We'll talk about the letter in a separate episode. But despite the letter saying we have your daughter, give us $118,000, do not call the police, do not attempt to let anybody know, what is the first thing that Patsy does? She fucking calls 911. So, just before 6am, police officer Rick French, yeah, that's his name, Rick French, he gets to the house, he does a basic search, he pauses by the door that Jean Benet is actually found behind later on, but he doesn't open it. So he comes there, he says, we heard your daughter's been, you know, you reported her missing, let's take a look at this note. He's walking through the house. That right there just drives me insane. If you are an officer and you're called out the day after Christmas and somebody has this crazy fucking ransom note and they say that we've kidnapped your daughter and we have her, why would you not open every freaking door in the house to try to see if there was some sort of evidence? One, you don't know this house. You don't know if there's a window behind that door that is possibly broken that, boom, there's your first clue. That's where the perpetrator got in through to, to kidnap her. So the fact that he goes to this door which i guess leads down into the basement and he pauses there and he's talking to you know john and patsy and he doesn't open it so anyways they have patsy also calls her family friends and some family tells them we woke up this morning jean benet's been kidnapped she's missing all this stuff so now not only is the officer there and other police department people, but now she has friends and family in the house. Okay. Nobody has roped anything off, quarantined it, put tape on it. People are just freely walking throughout this house. So it's early afternoon, let's say 11 or 12 ish. I couldn't find an exact time, but all reports and accounts just say early afternoon that first actual detective gets on the scene and her name is Linda Arndt. She pulls aside John White, who is a family friend. He was one of the ones that Patsy and, you know, John had called to come over and Arndt tells them, why don't you go ahead and help us do a top to bottom search. And if you find anything, let us know. So after this detective tells somebody who is not a detective or police officer to do a top-to-bottom search, this is when they find John Benet Ramsey's body. So, John and John, John White and John Ramsey, they go upstairs, they open all the doors, they look behind everything, they come back downstairs, they open that door, and it's a spare room in the basement, 
And it was also where they had been keeping all the Christmas presents and hiding all of like the stuff for Christmas. And when he opens the door, he sees Jean Benet's body on the ground. At that time, he says, you know, when I saw it, it just looked like she had been strangled. Um, her mouth, her neck, everything, they were covered with duct tape. So he sees his daughter. He doesn't know if she's still alive or not. He picks her body up and runs screaming up the stairs. Because remember, it's a basement. It's a spare room in the basement. So he has to come up the stairs. Aren't later, Linda Aren't later, she moves the body closer to the Christmas tree. Because in a lot of different reports, people say as soon as John got up the stairs with Jean Benet, he like, you know, was like kneeling or sitting on the ground and he starts taking the tape off of her and stuff like that. Um, then the detective, Linda, oh tells him to, let's bring her over here, let's bring her next to the Christmas tree. Why is fucking just beyond me? So anyways, now that he's done this, what are some things we notice? Number one, they still have not taped off the house. We still have family members and friends, as well as John and Patsy, now holding her, right? The door is open to the basement downstairs, so who knows who's going in and out of there and coming out of there. He takes the tape off of her, so that's evidence. That has DNA on it. And the crime scene is just tainted and fucking contaminated because nobody is doing a bit of police work. So... Eventually, they call the coroner and all that stuff. 10.45 p.m. is when the Boulder County Coroner's team actually take Jean Benet's body and they take her to, you know, the morgue to start doing the look over and autopsy and all of that stuff just to see what's yeah. happening. It's crazy how one mistake that can be made could probably have solved this case earlier. You know, because yeah. people don't follow rules. They just kind of go about their own little thing and think that they're doing it right. No, that's why we have rules, people. This is why we do things so that right. it's done correctly and things are, you know, done in the process. And you just got to trust the process. Yeah. And a lot of people always go back and forth here when they're talking about the day of and how you know john discovers her body mm -hmm. and i will say as a parent if i see my daughter duct taped at the bottom of the floor and not moving and she seems unconscious my first instinct as a parent and as a human to pick her up and console her and start taking that fucking tape off of her mouth that is rule number one why as a detective you do not send the fucking family to start searching the house exactly. you ask the mother Exactly. You ask the father to sit down, you take your preliminary statements, you make everybody else GTFO get the fuck out because if a detective would have opened that door and saw her body, they would have been able to be like, hey, captain, detective, I need you over here, we found her. And then people hold back the parents, They you rope that shit off, you start looking at your evidence, you try to console them, and you keep things, you run a tight ship. So... Well, the not only that, it's kind of just proving the fact that what if it was a family member? Mm -hmm. Like, you've now tampered with the evidence that's sitting right, right there. Right, and he's going to say my DNA is on the body because I picked her up when we found her. Yeah. Not, oh, your DNA was on the body when the detectives discovered her. 
like you know what i mean so there's a lot of suspects in this like there's so many suspects that that is the ultimate cardinal sin was when linda arndt sent john and john to do a top to bottom search she should have given that instruction to a police officer or another detective or a fucking emt or whoever else that was there that was not family so I think that is the biggest ball that was dropped, and there were a lot of them in this case, as we will come to discover, but that is the number one, in my opinion. So, a couple days go by. It's now December 28th. The Ramses start to have contact, um, like more frequent contact with authorities. They're cooperating. They go to the police station, they give hair, they give blood, they give handwriting samples. The police also went through and were talking to like all of the people, anybody that was there that day when her body was found. John also had some older children. I can't remember if they were his and Patsy's or if they were his children prior to them getting together, but either way, the cops talked to them as well. Um, His older children, it was a son and a daughter, John Andrew, and then Melinda, I believe was her name. They were out of town when the murder occurred. Their alibis were ironclad, so they were not considered suspects at all from day one. The next day, December 29th, the family ends up flying to Atlanta. A couple days after the murder, Ramses decide they're going to go back to their former hometown because they need to get the fuck out of there. That also strikes me as weird because technically John and Patsy haven't really been cleared at this time. We know that obviously John's older children were cleared, a couple other people that had alibis or whatnot. But it's just weird that, to me, four days after their daughter's body is found in their basement and she's been murdered, that they just were okay to let them leave the state. I don't know. That was just fucking weird. On December 31st, which is New Year's Eve, they end up holding the funeral for Jean Benet. Six-year-old is laid to rest in Marietta, Georgia, next to her older half-sister, Elizabeth. She had died in, like, a really horrible car accident a few years before. John Benet, yeah. I think, was only, like, one or two. And January 1 of 1997, so the day after her funeral, John and Patsy go on and they give an interview. Um, it was about 45 minutes long. It was on CNN. And they had the Boulder police you know, was constantly reassuring the community that there's not a murder on the run. Um, Patsy said on television, you know, multiple times, there is a killer on the loose. If I was a resident of Boulder, I would tell my friends, keep your babies close to you. There's somebody out there. Meanwhile, the Boulder PD is holding their own press conferences and, you know, releasing statements to the paper saying we do not have a killer on the loose. So there is, there's no, been no other murders that we've tied them to. X, Y, and Z, you guys are safe. They're trying to do a little bit of, like, damage control, right? Because Patsy went on national TV telling people in Boulder, Colorado to keep your kids close because there's a crazy psychopath running around. Like, I mean, that's what normal parents would do, regardless Mm -hmm. of, you know, the, the police are telling them to say this or say that. Like, that's what normal parents will do. They would want the truth out. Right. 
Patsy goes on to like say some other weird shit. She said, um, quote, America is suffering because we have lost faith in the American family, end quote. She also goes on to like give an example about the mystery of what really happened with O.J. Simpson. Because again, this was right around the time the whole O.J. Simpson and Anna Nicole Smith and all of that kind of stuff um, went down as well. And that was like the very, one of the very first hugely televised trials, right? And now we've got this beautiful little girl that turned up dead in her own home. Um, in that same interview, Patsy also said, you know, we're Christian, we're God-fearing family, we love our children, we'd do anything for them. So it was just weird. It was a lengthy 45-minute interview, and a lot of people, as we will find when we talk about conspiracy theories, just pick apart everything that John and Patsy were doing. So we'll touch more on that in a different episode. Let's go to the following day. So now we're at January 2nd, 1997. It's been about a week. Investigators end up actually going to Georgia um, to kind of speak with them and keep an eye on them. It was, I think, a team of five investigators and detectives. Um, they were actually quite shocked that the Ramses would give an interview like that since they had claimed to be too emotional to speak to the police. So remember, a couple days after they were being super cooperative, then on the 29th, they went to Atlanta. And I guess when we start looking at holes and trying to pick things apart here later on, that was one of the things that the detectives and the police department in Boulder said was, you know, once they went to Atlanta, they said they were too distraught they were not emotionally able to handle things which is their reason for not being in boulder anymore and they also they they need time they can't give a statement right now to the police well then two or three days later january 1 they're they're giving a 45 minute tv interview how were you able to have this interview with cnn for 45 minutes but you can't talk to the fucking police department like what? Excuse me? What? Um That's crazy. So yeah. wait, they went they went away to Atlanta. But mm-hmm. then came back and then No, they didn't come back. They gave the interview they, from Atlanta. They did the interview from Atlanta. That's even crazier. Yeah. So that's why when the cops saw them give this lengthy fucking interview, looking quite composed they're like fuck this ship we gotta fly to atlanta we need to talk to them we've been trying to get them to talk to us and they've been too emotional yet they just did the cnn interview for 45 minutes on national freaking television so we need to see what the hell is going on yeah so on january 2nd the detectives from boulder arrive in atlanta january 3rd detectives reveal that the ransom note was written inside the house Here's another crazy fucking thing. So, detectives announced that the note was written on a paper pad from inside the house, meaning it was likely written after the murder, right? Because Jean was a businessman. Patsy, I forget if she was a stay-at-home mom, wife, or whatever. Um, But the pad that the paper was written on, they actually found it in the house. So the paper was like two and a half pages long and it was ripped off and it was set on the stairs. Well, the fucking pad, you know when you're writing, 
and you rip a piece of paper off, the page underneath it a lot of the times will have the pressure from you writing the letter, right? I don't know if I'm making sense here. So like, let's say if you're someone who's very heavy handed when you write, especially uh -huh. if you're someone that deals with like legal documents where you have to go through the carbon copy, uh, the carbon copy. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was like that. They found it. They could see that pages had been ripped off from this. Let's just call it a legal pad, this legal pad. And then the blank page that was revealed, that was on top, you could tell it said it matched like you could tell if somebody wiped fucking ink over it it was going to be the exact writing that was on the first couple of pages of the fucking so it wasn't like oh we found a legal pad that has a page ripped off so we're just gonna assume because all legal paper is yellow with the green lines that it's there no they could tell three pages were ripped off and they could tell from the imprint on those blank pages that the writing was done on that legal pad so so it was done from inside the house anyways yeah, yeah. so once the detectives announced that john and patsy boom fly back to boulder boulder cops also go to charlevoix or charlevoix michigan and they search through a summer home which the ramsey family also owns remember like i said they're pretty affluent people they had multiple homes they traveled a lot so they go yeah. to michigan they're looking through their summer home january 6th school resumes at John Binet's school that she went to because I believe she's in like kindergarten or first grade. After the Christmas and New Year's holidays, um, teachers are back in school, students are back, and teachers and counselors were asked to kind of help the young children try to understand what happened, even though it was still unsolved at the time. A lot of people knew Jean Binet. You know, Patsy dealt with the other mothers who also had kids in the pageant scene. She did a lot of things when it came to, like, the school plays and stuff like that. So kids were going to be asking about her. So they prepped the teachers and counselors to kind of help those young kids. January 8th, news comes out that there may have been a practice ransom note. So reportedly, there's evidence that the person who wrote the ransom note first practiced it on, like, another piece of paper. Again, we'll talk more details about the physical note itself in episode two because there's a lot to pick apart and there's a lot of little things but january 8th they found evidence that they practiced the note first before they actually wrote the two and a half page one which was what left are those on the people that like read writing to like, oh yeah like handwriting experts to, yeah yeah like why didn't they hire somebody to do they that did. They did. That's how they're finding all this evidence about the note. Oh, my God. So now almost a whole two months goes by, a, that, and we're going to jump crazy. This is to February crazy. 27th. So February 27th, Jean Benet's half-brother is questioned. So they look at John Andrew, who is the older brother, and they're like, you know, his alibi, something, we need to look at that again. So they look at the alibi of John Andrew. He's the older child of John Ramsey. He allegedly was out of town when it happened, but they found a couple holes. So on February 27th, they re-examined his alibi. March 7th, 
the handwriting analysis and the handwriting expert eliminates John, but he cannot eliminate Patsy. So based on the handwriting samples that both parents submitted, you know, back in December before they flew to Atlanta, they're looking through this all. They have experts looking at everything. And John is 100% eliminated. They're like, nope. The slope of the letters, the pressure, the way it was written, all of this kind of stuff couldn't have been John. There's just not enough similarities and there's way too many differences. But with Patsy, they're like, we can't eliminate her. There's a lot of similarities. Nothing is really conclusive that says 100% she wrote the letter. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, there's also nothing that says 100% she didn't write the letter. So this is going to be something that becomes a very point of the mother yeah so this is going to be something that becomes a very big talking point for all of our conspiracy theorists and people that believe patsy was the one to murder jean benet and a lot of people hold on to the fact that she wasn't eliminated by her handwriting how though like this this is my thing how could she have done it why why would she go on national television and say to everybody out there like there's a killer on the loose but the police are saying casey anthony said her daughter was stolen and taken by zania the nanny and for two months everybody was looking for her and she was buried a mile down the street i mean come on now she called it zania the nanny Exactly. Hello. Like, but this are is different. Crazy. This woman got on television as the police were already saying, like, no, there is no murderer. There's nobody. And she's like, no, there is. There's a crazy ass murderer out there. So why is she being accused? That's a way to right. deflect, right? If you murdered your daughter, you're going to say there's a killer on the loose. They're out I, there in the I get that. I get that. But, like, why put yourself out there when the case was already set? Like, if the police said, no, there is no murderer, and you're still out there saying, no, there is, that's kind of, you're kind of stupid. Like, you're kind of stupid if you're a killer. Just Most say. criminals are not the smartest. They might be intelligent to be able to pull these things off and think of sick ways, but they're not the smartest people in the book. <laughs> like, no. it's crazy. So after that comes back on March 7th, that Patsy could not be confirmed or denied to having written the letter. The next day, March 8th, the police searched the Ramsey's, the, the Ramsey's Michigan house again. So remember, this is their summer house in Michigan. The police go back there um, reportedly or allegedly looking for unrehearsed handwriting to see if that would help to clarify whether Patsy actually wrote the note or not. Because remember, they have this ransom note, and then they say, Mikey, I need you to write me the alphabet on a piece of paper. And you're in front of a detective, so... I'd be like, I'm too stoned for this. You're gonna write the fucking note, but also <laughs> if you were the person who wrote the note, chances are you're gonna try to switch up the angle or maybe write in all caps or all small See, cursive is, versus yes. print or a mixture. Yes. So now they're like, we need to find something else. You know, keep in mind it's the '90s, so people aren't doing everything on a cell phone or a computer. Well, people are still very much handwriting. Yeah, that signature thing where it's like. They determine the pressure that what you pressed for each letter and all this other crap. Mm-hmm. They also determine how you're writing and how and the speed of it now. Um, yeah. So like they can they can say like if I switched up my my the letters in my name when I signed something, 
my signature or something. They can still figure out if it was me or not. Plus, it's Christmas time, so she was probably sending out Christmas cards. Maybe there's a grocery list they'll see laying around in the summer home or a to-do list or uh-huh. some sort of like bank document. So they go back there to that Michigan house trying to look for something. About another month goes by. It's April 3rd. DNA testing officially takes place. Um, There had already been a DNA test that was done that was pretty basic by the Colorado Bureau of Investigation um, earlier in the investigation. But on April 3rd, a secondary one is done, and it is done by... I don't say Maryland's uh, cell mark laboratories. So now they have two. Keep in mind, again, it is 1997. So DNA technology is still pretty new. There's not a ton of shit that they can do. This case is open still. Like, this is crazy. It's been what? How many years? 25. Like, yeah. Fucking insane. A couple weeks go by, and it's April 19th. Um, her parents, John and Patsy, officially become the prime suspects. Um, there's just too many things that the cops start connecting. Number one, they asked for a ransom in the exact amount of your Christmas bonus. How in the fuck are they going to know that? Number two, Patsy's handwriting is still way too similar and we cannot conclusively roll her out. Number three, you know, a couple of the alibis had to be relooked out, mainly being one from the older half-brother, John Andrew. Number four, just the way that they acted um, once they went to Atlanta and not being willing to talk to the police and being too emotionally distraught, things of that nature. So now, on April 30th, they bring Patsy back in, and they question her. And this is like some West Memphis, Tennessee shit, like the, the three kids where they're like interviewing them for, you know, hours upon hours. She's interviewed and questioned for six and a half hours. Now, at that time, they consider them formal interviews. Because before, when they were talking to her, they were just trying to get any information. So the questioning was yeah. more basic, like, what time did you put John Benet to bed? What time did you go to bed? Do you remember hearing anything in the middle of the night? Do you remember what the clock was before you went to bed? Are you sure it was 5.30 in the morning? Are you sure it wasn't 5.05 in the morning? You know, it said to not call the police. Why did you choose to call the police? You know, like, all of these different things. So now they're formally interviewing her and making her retell things and answer questions that they already got the answers to Mm -hmm. from her four months ago. Now she's making new statements and they end up replacing the initial ones which were you know from her casual more loose interviews with the cops how so much I mean, time has gone by since four months it's april 30th okay so four months has has gone by <laughs> that's crazy it, just in a short amount of time anyone can change anything at this point because there were so many hands dipped into the the soup that like now it's not really soup you know now you just got yeah. a, pi- a messy pile of, sh- of flat out dog shit it was what it sounds like but even that f- that it being april you know right you said it was april yeah it being april and she's being interviewed now like that's sloppy 
She should have been oh, interviewed yeah. right off the bat. The whole family should have been interviewed right off the bat. Nobody should have been like that. Sh- that's what how it should have been done because this way they can get every bit of information as it is in that time. Now it's yeah. like four months have gone by. She could remember it a totally different way. Or choose to not remember certain out. things. Or exactly. Or shut things down. Now she's playing out different scenarios of what she could have possibly have done that day to probably save her child. Or, you know, what the husband could have done to save her child. And then she's going through her own brain, racking it all over, thinking of different scenarios. So yeah, this woman might give you some wrong information at some point or change her story. Yeah. Like that to me just doesn't have make any sense. Well, that's what ends up happening. Pretty much. I mean, she ends up saying different things and she doesn't say them in the exact way and they start picking that apart. Um, So, yeah, like I said, and that happened on April 30th of 1997. And now a message from our sponsor. So now let's go to... May 2nd. So, okay. So, on April 30th, she's interviewed for that six and a half hours. They are formally interviewing her, asking her questions. And this is in May. April 30th. So, that, okay. So, they're interviewing her in April. Now, what and happens in May? May 2nd. So, it's two days later. Two days so later. So, on May 2nd, the victim's parents, which is John and Patsy, they end up talking to the local press there in Boulder. John ends up stumbling over his daughter's name. Um, he, which that is another thing that the conspiracy theorists end up picking apart. He also chooses to address some of the rumors about her possibly being sexually molested, um, calling those things some of the most hurtful innuendos, quote, end quote. Um, Patsy even goes on to say, I'm appalled anyone would think that John or I would have been involved with such a hideous and heinous crime, but let me assure you, I did not kill John Binet. So, people will take that, as we will find when we get into the conspiracies, people will take this interview from May 2nd and pick it apart a lot. So, Patsy in there says, I did not kill John Binet. I mean, if I was talking for myself and Ben, I would be like, I nor my husband harmed our daughter. You know what I mean? But she was very adamant in saying she did not kill Jean Benet. So then a lot of people say she also didn't. Well, because for her the husband. fingers were pointed at her. The finger wasn't pointed at her husband. They ruled him out. You know, they totally ruled him out. So they like only said that he didn't have anything to do with the letter. He was the not letter ruled exactly. out. But, but he was not ruled out as a suspect. They, they are weren't both looking suspects right now. Yeah, well, they weren't looking at him at the time. They were looking at her because everybody knew about the letter with her and how it kind of matched so that everybody assumed that was her, which I totally get her response and action. But in an actual sense, I think if two parents are being, you know, accused of murdering their child, it's not just me. It's us. Mm -hmm. So I do agree that, like, yeah, she probably should have said us. Yeah. We did not kill I did not John kill her, Benet. and neither did my husband. We wouldn't have harmed our daughter. Yeah. Like She was just speaking for herself. So at this time, um, when we go back and take a further dive into to things specifically, um, there was a lot of talk about 
her being sexually molested because when we look and we go into the interview of Patsy Ramsey from April 30th, it's just so hard because there's so much evidence. But when they were investigating the Ramseys, they had found, I don't remember how, because it's in my notes for a different episode, but Patsy brought up the fact that Jean Benet still wet the bed quite regularly. And because of that, a lot of the times they would, when she would go to put her to bed, she would also have to end up giving her a bath or getting her in the bathtub to give a bath because she would have wet the bed. She would wake up sometimes in the middle of the night because she had wet the bed and it would make Patsy upset. And a lot of the times, I think maybe in some of John's statements, he also validated that, excuse me, mm-hmm. that claim that, you know, Patsy would get very upset because John Binet was still wetting the bed and she was six, six years old and then Patsy would have to strip the bed wash it, re-put the stuff on it, get John Binet in the shower and all of that kind of stuff. So it became kind of like a point of contention um, for Patsy and John Binet. And so a lot of people contribute small children that still wet the bed. A lot of the times that happens when they are being sexually molested or assaulted, you are not able to like control your bladder, especially at like such a young age. And because there was evidence that she had been sexually assaulted um, when she was murdered. So that's why during this conference, you know, they talk about the hurtful innuendos and the fact that, you know, she was appalled that anyone would think that they would do that kind of stuff. The wedding the bed also gave room for conspiracy theorists to really spin and put it on Patsy because a theory that was very common is she had wet the bed. Patsy was upset with her. She was exhausted from it being Christmas Day and them having gone to the party and being on the go all day and they got into an argument. And Patsy maybe spanked her something when she was putting her in the tub and that caused Jean Benet to hit her head because she did end up having a fracture or some sort of trauma to her skull in addition to being strangled. So that altercation allegedly led to Jean Benet dying and then they tried to cover it up with the strangling but then why would you also sexually assault your daughter if you were covering up an accidental death like the whole Casey Anthony case so there's a lot of things that happen during this time and that's why they were addressing the press because a lot of people were trying to just put the blame on the parents that they either covered it up because Patsy got mad at John Benet for wetting the bed or Patsy found out that John was sexually molesting her and then Jean Benet woke up and you know he he had sexually assaulted her and strangled her and all of this kind of stuff. So this is why they're prime suspects because all the different theories are coming out. The media is talking. The people are talking. And now Jesus. the pressure is super heavy. And I'm telling you, this is just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> um, so May 14th, the DNA results have no surprises. Um, they don't really specify what that means when they release that to the press. But when I interpret it, it just means one, 
keep in mind it's 1997, so DNA testing and technologies not very far advanced. So they were probably expecting to find DNA from her parents, her brother, and obviously her own self. So when they said that there were no surprises or anything with the DNA, we're assuming that meant that everybody's DNA that was found could be accounted for, and it was something that was common, you know? There was no unknown DNA that could lead them in a direction. So then a couple more months go by, and it's July 12th. So July 12th of 97, which is seven months now, Jean Benet's bedroom furniture ends up getting moved to Atlanta. Um, why? We don't really know, but they take all of her belongings from her room across the country on a moving truck, and they put it in her I don't know if they put it in her room or what, but they take it to Atlanta back in their hometown. A couple days later, on July 14th, the official autopsy reports are released. Previously, they had been sealed. Um, for whatever reason, they end up getting released. The autopsy reports confirm a, quote, deep ligature around the victim's neck and another around the right wrist, evidence that she was bound and strangled. Blood and abrasions were found in the girl's vaginal area and that she was struck on the head violently enough to cause bleeding as well as an eight and a half inch fracture to her skull. So those are the main points for the autopsy. She had a huge, granted, she's six years old. She has a very small child. It's not like she was big for her age. So Wasn't I she a pageant measure... girl too? Yeah, so I measured an eight and a half inch fracture on my skull, and it takes up like almost my whole head. I couldn't imagine one that size on a six year old child. So the fact yeah. that she had that huge fracture and the bedwetting, that's how that theory, their theory kind of got spun into place, you know. Gotcha. Also, the abrasions and blood in her vaginal area, around her neck, being bound and strangled, and her wrist, and all of that kind of stuff. Horrible, horrible way for that little girl to die. January 15th, um, 1998. So now, you know, it's been over a full year. The Ramses refuse to interview with authorities. They, they actually ended up asking to review evidence before they would give more interviews to the police or give more statements, um, press conferences, things like that. Their request ends up getting rejected. So the judge is like, no, you need to talk to the authorities and cooperate with the police or we're going to put you, you know, in, in jail. <laughs> like, Yeah. How are you, like, first of all, where do you have the audacity to refuse to talk to the police? Like, it's one thing to lawyer up, but to refuse to interview with the authorities, like, who are trying to figure out why your daughter was murdered a year ago? Like, that just seems fucking weird. Yeah. So then on January 29th, John and Papsy, uh, they end up, ugh, I said Papsy. <laughs> Papsy end up turning over the clothes. That they were wearing the day she went missing. So two months after the police requested the parents hand over the clothes they were wearing the night of the crime, the Ramses turn in two shirts, a pair of pants, and a sweater. Which, to me, I'm like, Boulder PD, what the fuck were you doing? 
on the day that you found this little girl in her house murdered that you did not collect the clothing the parents are wearing right then and there. This is January 29th, 1998. She was found dead in her house December 26th of 1996. So it's been a year and a month and you're just now asking for these fucking clothes? Like, clearly they've probably been washed or something. You know, like, it's, and how do you know? Like, how do you know that those are the clothes that they were wearing? Did you photograph the parents and their hands and check them for, you know, any abrasions and uh -uh, things like that? Did you like, them? We're not even, I'm not even somebody who deals with, like, investigation or whatever. But I've seen enough to be like, okay, if this is happening, I want everybody to strip down naked that's in this house and change your, change your clothes and hand over all your clothes to me. Because what if there's something on your clothing that you're wearing? Yeah, exactly. You know? I'm sorry. I'm not somebody who works in the police or part of law, but, you know, that's number one thing. On top of that, why are you asking the family to get involved with the search of their own kid? Yeah. Like, no. That's the you, number one thing. Always the first suspect is family member and friends. Friends and family. Sorry. That's the first person they go for. It's exactly what happens when your spouse dies. They go for the wife first. They want to know, or the husband, either or. They'll go for oh, them exactly. first because they want to know, you know, okay, they could have possibly done it. What's their motive? Exactly. <sighs> so, anyways, so that's January 29th that they ask for the clothes. And remember, they turned in two shirts, one pair of pants, and one sweater. March 12th, a grand jury investigation is called. Investigators formally call for a grand jury investigation since 15 months have already passed since the murder. June 3rd of 98, evidential investigations are still continuing. So the case's lead investigator at this time, Mark Beckner, says that there is, quote, significant results, end quote, from the 1,058 pieces of evidence which have been taken from the home, and at that time, details are not shared. They just said they took over 1,000 pieces of evidence from the home. There's tons of significant results. They're calling a grand jury to investigate. The parents are still, like, a heavy prime suspect. So during this time, a lot of the conspiracy theorists will also say that the police department being so hyper-focused on the parents is a another cardinal sin at this time they're not looking for people outside of the home they are thinking this had to be done from inside the home our first mm -hmm. clue was the fact that the letter was written with the pen and paper from inside the house meaning it had to be done after the murder number two the parents activity of you know not wanting to give us any kind of interviews while they were in land Atlanta, yet they did the CNN special, which was 45 minutes long. The fact that we asked for their clothing and it took them two months to turn that in. The fact that they were refusing to speak with us and give interviews. And then that was. I kind of feel judge. like the parents are just the parents that lost their daughter. They lost their daughter. They're just kind of like, I'm done with it. Like, I don't want to speak to the police. I don't want to talk to them. They're just going to accuse me. Like, that's why I kind of feel like how the parents are feeling right at this point. Like, as to why they're like, okay, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that or whatever. Yeah, but either way, if you truly are a parent who loves your child, you will you do anything do whatever short of you want. murdering yourself. Mm -hmm. 
to help the people find out. If you know truly in your heart you had nothing to do with the disappearance and murder yep, of your daughter, you'd be on, you'd be on you the case. would be willing to do it. So that's the other reason that people are pointing those things out. You know, like all these times you've refused to cooperate, the times when you wouldn't grant us interviews, the fact that it took you two months to give us the items we requested. That you I mean, were they're so crazy. They're so crazy with that. I'm sorry. Like, the Boulder, Boulder PD, you you fucked up. Y'all yep. done fucked up. And if you guys were smoking whatever joints you're smoking, because, you know, that's where legalization came from, Mr. Colorado, y'all need to stop. Like, yeah. <laughs> this case could have been, like, easily fixed in those points if you did the right thing in the beginning. Like, yeah. first off, never get the family involved. I don't care who it is. You want them to be as calm and as you know collected as possible by questioning them not having them go search their house for all this other shit like no because yeah. now everything has been tampered with you know oh yeah and, a sh- and somebody who wasn't part of their family too you had them go search like how does that make any sense it doesn't and that's the shit that like just there's just so many things that were an injustice to this case that it's insane so anywho june 3rd was when they got the statement from mark beckner which was the lead investigator about the thousand pieces of evidence yada 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 the following week june 10th through 12th jean benet's brother who is older than her she was six he was nine at the time um burke is questioned so, John Benet's older brother, Burke, again, he was nine at the time of the crime, and he was the only other person in the house. It was allegedly John and Patsy, the mom and dad, Jean Benet and Burke. They were the ones who were home. They went to bed, all of that kind of stuff. Um, this is also the first time he has been questioned since his sister died. At this time, 1998, he's 11 years old. Because it's been almost two years, right? We're in the middle Mm -hmm. of 98. So it's a full year and a half past when she's died. They're barely fucking questioning him for the first time. Are you kidding me? Kids hear and see stuff all the time. What if he would have heard something and remembered it that night and been able to tell them? Exactly. So that's another like disservice to this case. The fact that he was never questioned. And a lot of the times it went back to Patsy. She was insisting that Burke had been sleeping the whole time. And even while the investigators were there, they chose not to wake him. They had a family member, I think come and get him from bed and take him out of the house while the cops were there. Um, Because obviously, you know, they were trying to protect him. They didn't want, him to have to see the cops and his sister's body and all that kind of stuff which nope, makes sense that's another also, that's another mistake they yeah should've... but also like i know emmett emmett's nine years old if something happened here in this house and he heard it or saw it i would feel bad and i wouldn't want him to see like ben laying on the ground dead or if his sister was here or something like that crazy but i also wouldn't keep the cops from talking to him i would be like hey do you remember hearing anything last night did you hear any strange noises did you get up to go to the bathroom and see anything like what do you remember about last yeah. night did you go to bed and stay in bed because a lot of times before somebody takes bed, the child they don't away. go to sleep they don't though they, they will lay in their bed for 
10, 15 minutes, maybe sometimes <laughs> yeah. an hour. Like they'll get up and turn their TV on in the middle of the night. So it was just another sad, crappy situation that they waited so long to interview him. Oh, that's, I can't even. Because like at that time, especially in a child's mind, he's now 11 years old. You waited a whole fucking year? Mm-hmm. Get out. Get out, dude. Like, that kid's not going to remember that day. What if he wants to shut that day out of his brain? It's gone. Exactly. He don't remember shit. He ain't telling you nothing. That's sad. That is really, really sad they did this. So then we'll fast forward a couple more months and we'll go to August 6th. So the mm-hmm. De- Denver detective, Steve Thomas, he ends up resigning and he does it with like a eight page resignation later. I can't even fucking talk. He resigns with an eight-page resignation letter. (laughs) He said um, the Hunter's office crippled the case since elements have been thoroughly compromised. um, And he does not want to work the case anymore. He just feels like it's crippled. It's been tainted. There's no coming back from it. The governor inquires at the time, which was Roy Romer, if he needed to step in. Eventually, he ends up does step. He does end up stepping in. Um, August nineteenth, White asks for Hunter to be dismissed. So the family friend John White he asks to have someone other than Hunter assigned to the Jean Benet case. The following day, Burke's voice is reportedly overheard on a nine one one call. So originally. The Ramseys had said that Burke was asleep the morning his sister was discovered missing and that he didn't wake up until the police arrived when, you know, that family member came to take him or whatever. Um, But in the 911 tape, which they ended up being able to enhance, Burke's voice is reportedly heard in the background and it's like not just one time. So while Patsy is on the phone with 911 talking to the 911 operator. You can hear Burke in the background. So, number one, bitch, we caught you in a motherfucking lie. <laughs> like, uh-huh. you told us he was asleep this whole time, yet yeah. clearly he wasn't asleep because we can hear him in the background of the 911 call. What? So, on September 15th, the grand jury officially begins their investigation. Um, even though they had been selected five months prior, they for whatever reason, didn't start the investigation until September 15th. On September 24th, another detective quits. So this is now the second detective. He cited that there was too much focus on the Ramsey parents and that homicide detective, um, which was named Lou Smith, in his resignation letter, he says, a very dangerous killer is still out there. He gives the Ramseys the fuel that they need to convince authorities to shift the focus of their investigation because now the Ramseys have been the primary focus for quite some time. Mm-hmm. One detective drops from the case, and now the second one is dropping from the case and saying, hey, there's still a killer out there. You guys are hyper-focused on the fucking Ramseys, and you're not looking at any other alternative options, and that's a fucking mistake. I guarantee you it's pr- it's pretty much because they were mad at the fact that they went ahead and went on TV and said all this shit about the Boulder PD. Like, yeah. And that PD was like, oh, now you fucked with us. So this is what we're going to do. This is how, like, our system works. Like, if you don't abide by the rules of the police that are around you, they aren't going to help you. Yeah. 
So then, um, on October 13th, the grand jury starts to hear forensic evidence. They hear the case, they learn about forensic evidence, um, such as the hair, DNA, fibers from the scene, they get to tour the home, um, all that kind of stuff. On October 20th, John faces Stephen Miles in court. So two stories in the National Enquirer had said that there was an anonymous source. Um, John believed photographer Stephen Miles had killed John Binet. John goes back to Colorado. He faces Miles in a civil case because um, I guess he tried pursuing it like separately from this investigation somehow. But Stephen Miles, he was a photographer. He did a lot of the photography for a lot of like the pageant scene and stuff, and he had uh-huh. photographed Jean Benet. So that's when John is like, he had to have done it. He is a creepy guy, X, Y, and Z. Whatever reasons he thought, he takes him to court, and they meet in court on October 20th. December 3rd, they collect more familial DNA. It's been damn near two years. But DNA evidence is requested from, I think it was like five or six of the family members. Even though they weren't suspects, they wanted to try to identify who the DNA that they found in the house belongs to. Yeah. Yeah. January 28th, a teddy bear ends up taking like center stage. So this is another one for all of my conspiracy theorists. So investigators appear to the online community by trying to find out some more information about a Santa Claus teddy bear, which was found in her room. Um, They hope that by finding the manufacturer of that or where it was sold that they could link together more dots because it was something that they had collected as evidence and they were just trying to find out more about the materials about how it was made and things like that um march of 99 the very first detective on the case ends up resigning and this is that fucking bitch (laughs) so linda arndt resigns and she's resigning because she says there's just too much criticism it's a high profile case everybody is criticizing the department and all of this kind of stuff so she says i can't do it anymore I'm, i'm resigning from the case and that's, then that's crazy. She's the one who fucked up the first place. Like you're the one who started the shit show and the fucking. Yeah, and that's what ends up happening. You know, at this time, everybody's like, "Well, why would you have? Why, when you arrived on the scene, did you not not start blocking things off? Why did you send a family member to find Jean Benet instead of a detective? If a detective would have found her, they could have preserved the crime scene. You know, and there's just too much criticism, and so she finally caves in and she resigns. The following day, Burke is no longer considered a suspect, which mm-hmm. is her older brother. At this time, he's 12 years old. Um, he is secretly questioned by the grand jury. And when they question him, they declare that he is considered to be a witness, but not a suspect. So that's another thing. Why did they secretly question him? How did they get around, you know, being able, like being able to do that? I wonder if it had something to do with the parents. Probably. Like, it has Probably. to, because they can't question a child unless there's parent consent. Yeah, because he's only 12, so yeah. it's strange. Um, September 13th, 1999, Detective Arts says um, that... They know who killed Jean Benet. So in an interview on Good Morning America, 
Arndt says she knows who the killer is, but she cannot and will not say who it is. So it's like, why? Why even go on there and be like, oh, I know who the killer is. Well, you know, it's still an ongoing case, so I can't tell you, but I know who it is. It's like, bitch, if you know who it is, why'd you resign from the case? You know, like, so that causes some drama and stirs the pot. September 30th, her half-siblings end up testifying. John, Andrew, and Melinda, they were already cleared um, in March of 97. They end up testifying in front of the grand jury. A couple weeks later, on October 13th, the DA ends up saying there is no sufficient evidence um, to be able to charge anyone in her murder. So now we go six months before we have anything else really happen in the timeline. It's now the year 2000, so it's been, you know, over three years. March 17th, the Ramses publish a book. So John and Patsy together publish a book and they release it and it's called The Death of Innocence. And it's from their perspective about their daughter's murderer. And it's a huge uh, like publicity campaign that they also throw to promote the book. May 24th of 2000, John and Patsy end up holding a press conference. They talk about lie detector tests and that these lie detector tests confirm that they're innocent that they didn't kill their daughter but the test wasn't run by the fbi and so when investigators are looking at stuff in the grand jury they're like it's not acceptable this isn't sufficient like sure you're saying you did lie detector tests but if the fbi didn't administer it and run it then it's it like doesn't matter well, regardless it's not gonna matter regardless like that can't hold up in court anyways because it's only 99.9 percent true because there are ways of you asking questions to people that can trigger you know an effect or right. make it not seem like it's enough like it's true or not so there is a way to lie on a lie detector test yeah. so like the fact that there's a way they don't use it's not since it's not 100 percent accurate they're not going to use it in court they can't yeah and then this is kind of where like the case dies so to speak um it had national attention was all over the news for the first few years after she had died and things were constantly happening um and then we really don't hear much until june 24th of 2006 unfortunately patsy ramsey her mother ends up passing away from ovarian cancer she had been diagnosed previously with stage four cancer back in 1993 and she was taking treatment and was in remission but then ultimately it came back and she did die from it and there were no answers in sight when she had died so that's just you know unfortunate they ended up burying her next to jean benet in marietta georgia and about another 10 years go by before we have any real breaking news. And it's September 12th, 2016, when Burke, her brother, ends up breaking his silence. Um, he doesn't really reveal anything or give new evidence, but he does go on Dr. Phil. And he opens up and talks about, from his perspective, what it was like to have, you know, Jean Benet as a sister and the whole murder and how it affected him and things like that. But when Dr. Phil asked him, well, in your heart, what, what do you think happened and who, who do you think killed her? And Burke says, 
quote, is probably some pedophile in the pageant audience, end quote. And he ends up saying it a couple of times during the interview. And when we look at other things, because in 2016, after he breaks his silence, there's a couple more interviews and like conspiracy theory led like specials that go on to talk about Jean Benet and who we think could have done it, had the ability to do it, or had some sort of knowledge about the case. And this is kind of where in 2016, it starts getting new traction and they start looking at different avenues. They're like, okay, Patsy is dead. We know we've already exhausted this aspect that it was either John or Patsy. And we know the theories about how they could have killed their daughter and why. And we've exhausted that option for 20 years. So let's look at new options. Let's look at the pageant, the pageant scene. You know, there are tons of pedophiles that were in the area at the time that she died. There were registered sex offenders. There were people who had access to these children backstage when they were taking videos. You know, because with Jean Benet, there was tons of videos, tons of photos of her. And so somebody had to be taking these pictures. And a lot of them that were taking these pictures were, you know, older gentlemen. And they start trying to track people down and figuring stuff out. And... When you look at the pineapple, Burke had remembered having I pineapple. I want to know what this pineapple is. So Burke had ended up having pineapple as like a little snack. And when the police were there on December 26th, there was a bowl of pineapple with a spoon on like the breakfast bar or the counter. So clearly they know somebody was eating pineapple and neither John nor Patsy could confirm that they had given it to the children. I think if I remember John Benet was allergic to pineapple, like slightly, you know, sometimes if you eat like kiwi or avocado or pineapple, your tongue kind of gets tingly, but like you can still eat it and be okay. So I can't remember if she actually had a bad allergy or not, but Either way, there was some undigested pineapple during the autopsy that was found in her stomach, which means she had to have had it very recently prior to her dying in the timeline of her death. And because there was pineapple that was found and seen in the pictures in a bowl with a spoon, they're like, well, what happened? You said you put her to bed. You did not give her pineapple that night at dinner or for a snack or a little sweet treat. She was allergic to it. Okay. But there's pineapple in her stomach. It's undigested, which means she had just eaten it very recently before she died. And number two, there was pineapple in the house because if we look at some of these photos of evidence, there's the pineapple sitting on the counter. So... Clearly, that means, A, she got out of bed and had this pineapple without your knowledge after you thought you had put her to sleep, which yeah. it would be hard for a six-year-old to get this pineapple, or B, perhaps Burke was the one that was downstairs eating the pineapple, and maybe him and John Benet got into a little fight. So then people started looking at, could a nine-year-old have killed his six-year-old sister? Why would he have killed her? Oh, my God. She was strangled. She had some sexual assault to her vaginal area. She also had a huge structure or a huge fracture, you know, on her skull. Well, maybe she asked for pineapple and it was bothering him and he didn't want to share. 
or maybe he had gotten himself pineapple and got up to get water or something and when he looked back she had reached her little hand in there and ate a piece of pineapple and he hit her or pushed her over which caused her to hit her you know crack her head and she died and then the mom and dad helped cover it up because they didn't want their son to get in trouble for killing their daughter when it was an accident and the two kids yeah, were fighting so no. now oh, all of these things start That's like crazy. coming up about Bert. and then the fact that would also explain why patsy refused to let burke be questioned because they couldn't guarantee that burke wouldn't know how to be coached you know if he did fight with his little sister and hit her because she took pineapple out of his bowl and she cracked her head on the breakfast bar or something you know like they he couldn't be trusted to not to keep that secret so that's why they refused to let the cops talk to him and all of this stuff so then we'll talk about in episode two because we're going on an hour here but um the conspiracy theories and what happened because Burke actually ended up suing yeah. somebody quite recently for defamation of character and all this kind of stuff because one of the specials legit I mean they laid down a pretty solid option of how he could have did it and why he did it and I mean, at this point, her case is still unsolved, so anything is plausible, right? If he was the one that was eating pineapple and he got mad and hit her and she fell, and then maybe he strangled her because he just flipped out and was crazy. And I think you know, maybe he did. Mom, do it. Like, I'm and then the mom decided to say, and the mom decided to say, well, you know, if we if we use the garrote to molest her or you know in the vaginal area then we can say not say but that was their way of being able to deflect the family having done the murder right because if there's sexual assault john and patsy and burke know themselves if they ever had to take a lie detector test about that they would be able to pass that because they know they weren't physically molesting their daughter and that typically means let's look outside the home. She was strangled. She has a fracture on her skull and she was sexually assaulted. We need to look outside the home if the parents didn't do it and they tell us that they didn't do it and all this stuff. But that doesn't clear them because she was also wetting the bed, which sometimes is associated with trauma and sexual assault. And if her brother did kill her or got really mad, why would you cover it up and not just call and say, Oh my gosh, my kids were fighting and I came downstairs, you know, just like Rebecca Zahau when the little boy, you know, fell down the yeah. stairs and died. So it's just like, why wouldn't you just call the cops? So a lot of weird shit has happened in the last couple of years and that we will also talk about. But yeah, so we're going to end here with the timeline where Burke breaks his silence, goes on Dr. Phil, um, I gotta watch and we'll that. stop in September of 2016. So hopefully you guys got the timeline. I've showed you some of the holes in the theory of to where and why they don't hold water. Um, the next episode, we're going to talk and break apart the actual letter because the wording in the letter is fucking crazy how it's signed is just bizarre the things they ask for and the tangent that they go off of in this letter it's like i don't know 
I, 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 and also why would you write almost a three page letter? And if you're writing it from inside the house while everyone is asleep, wouldn't you be scared shitless that they're going to wake up and come down any minute? Like you just write, Hey, we have your daughter. We want a hundred thousand dollars. We will call you. Don't call the police. You leave that shit somewhere and then you get the fuck out. Like, Plus the sign that there was no forced entry. But so, why leave a ransom stuff. note saying that we have your daughter, but she's in your basement? Exactly. That's another thing. So we'll leave it here. Now you know the basic 411 of the case. We've went Jesus, through so much. a lot of the important things in the timeline. Gave you some of the big hitter facts. The ransom note. The pineapple. You know, the fact that she was reported missing and said that she, they had abducted her, but she was found in the basement of her house. The shit that the cops dropped the ball on by sending the parent to look for their kid in a top-to-bottom search. That they waited so long to get the clothing from Patsy and John. The fact that they let them leave town just so much stuff that the boulder pd did wrong it's just it's crazy all of it yeah so i went through my whole 25 ounce beer i'm sure you went through some you know of your beverage that you were drinking but rolls in the water (laughs) as always guys we thank you so much we love you guys we love your little eardrums and lobes and canals and everything else we also (laughs) are approaching like over 800 plays and I will tell you, our number one episode that has the most plays with over 100 is the Brandon Swanson case. That case, I don't know if it's the <laughs> we were, algorithm. We were both so interested in it. Like, we were just like, what the hell? Where's yeah. the kid? Where'd he go? There's nothing. Yeah, I don't know. But his case, definitely, it was just crazy. Hopefully, Jean Bidet, we learn just some things you didn't maybe know about the case um talking about the letter is going to be interesting talking about the conspiracy theories will also be wild especially because we hit on a couple of them in this episode and then wrapping everything up with what's going on currently with the case because it is active and open and there is new evidence um so yeah so join us on our next her brother looks so weird yeah, he looks creepy as fuck. Yeah. Creepy. And He's also gorgeous eyes, but he looks fucking he looks like a killer. Like yeah. he looks like he was a killer or is a killer or whatever. Yeah. And also one of the crazy theories that John Bonet is Katy Perry and Katy Perry is John Bonet. I don't know. I have heard about that a lot and I see it on TikTok, but I want to know how they piece those two people together. Do they think that she didn't die and that we she didn't get buried? That they just said that their daughter died and then they sent her off to go live another crazy life? I mean, I don't know. The facial structure is similar when you look at the pictures and like the nose and the eyes and the Oh smile. my god, yes. Like I'm looking yeah. at a picture right now of her and I'm just like, holy crap. Like if yeah. you put blonde hair on Katy Perry with long curls, like that looks like her. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about all kinds of crazy stuff and how people like connect the those two because i thought out of all the conspiracy theories that was the wildest i mean a lot of people say that chloe kardashian is oj simpson's daughter i could see where that would happen but how the fuck is Katy perry jean benet who knows we'll talk about it though on the next episode thank you guys so much for joining Cal, us Cal, Cal. Bye-bye. bye bye